Welcome to You Wanted a Hit, a podcast in which we discuss unlikely, perplexing, and positively bizarre songs that swept the nation and often the world. Hit songs that, looking back, make us think, how did this get played on the radio? Do people actually like this? Do we like this? Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm your co-host, Michael Smith, and I'll be discussing one song per episode with my co-host and fellow music fanatic, pop culture enthusiast Theo Biden. Each episode, we'll take turns exploring the song, while the other host has no idea what song will be the focus until we hit play. This is going to be a good one. This is even better than I thought it was going to be. It's just been one thing after another with this story. It's All really right. Welcome to You Wanted a Hit, a podcast about bizarre, unlikely hit songs. We are psyched to have a great guest with us for this episode. We have singer, songwriter, guitarist, whatever that other thing is that you play. Jason Hawk Harris is here <laughs> on the show. Is that like a squeeze box? What is that? Uh, yeah, I was wondering what are you referring to? Harmonium. Harmonium. Yeah, yeah. We have uh, we have a lot to talk about. I'm excited. I've I've been a I've been a follower of the podcast for a while. Uh, my favorite was uh, the Buster Poindexter episode. <laughs> hot, hot, hot. That was. Oh great. man, what an icon. Mm-hmm. That one was a lot of fun. So I see Jason drinking some wine. I, I I waited until the beginning of the episode to crack a little can snack. I got the Sierra Nevada Oktoberfest. Mm, nice. So here we go. Oh, oh lovely. Now, now the lovely. episode can fully start. Absolutely. All my Oktoberfests have been depleted. Uh, so I'm having a Sierra Nevada big little thing. Hey, not All a right. bad plan B. I'm drinking an Ironside Cabernet Sauvignon. You sound way more sophisticated than we are. <laughs> <laughs> I've been really excited uh, because I knew this was the song that I was gonna, I was gonna do when Jason was on the show. We've been talking about it for a long time, so I've been saving this song. Amazing, just for you, Jason. I'm honored. And we, this is one we've had a num- number of requests for. So I think a lot of people are going to be oh, happy wow. to be talking about. Yes. Oh, 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 (laughs) oh, wow. Oh, yeah. I'm here for this. Gotta hear a little bit of it. Uh, It takes a minute to get into the chorus, so we're gonna hear this song a lot. Yeah, <laughs> fist pump. <laughs> you can't not. Everyone is pumped. You can't not be pumped. I mean, it is an anthem. It is an anthem. Hundred percent an anthem. And I know that we're all in the right age group where this yep. hit at the perfect time. Man, it was. I uh, just. Uh, I feel yeah. so honored that you saved that song for me. I think this <laughs> may be my favorite one-hit wonder of all time. Glowing praise. Wow. Yeah. It's a. That's a good one. That's a. That's a good. Well, this is Teenage Dirtbag by New York rock band Wheatus from the year 2000. To be fair, I did not know they were from New York. So, yeah. Another they... band that I'm, 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 I love this song, but I, I know nothing about. So, I'm, I'm excited to, to get the info. It makes sense. We have a lot of New York bands because there's a lot of bands from New York, especially because we cover a lot of 80s, 90s, 2000s. And like that was just like, you know, prime time in New York for, 
for rock bands, etc. Uh, this is uh, a little bit different of a New York story. Um, mm-hmm. Brendan B. Brown, affectionately referred to as BBB by Wheatus fans, was born in 1973 in Northport, New York. Oh. You know where that is? I did, yeah. That's a seaside village on Long Island. It's a beautiful place. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's some of what I read said it said it was beautiful. Uh, there's also some other things going on in that town. Aesop Rock and Blue Oyster Cult are yeah. both from Newport. Uh, yeah. Good combo. Yep. And and the town was formerly named Great Cow Harbor because there it's was a, a lot name, of cattle. To be honest. Um, there's, uh, there's still a Cow Harbor Day festival every year with a parade, live music, a 10K, and a ride on a trolley that's been defunct since the 1960s. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> yep. Gotta keep it dangerous. What time oh, of year yeah. is this? I gotta uh, put this in the calendar. Uh, it's in the but, fall, and it does say it attracts a number of of tourists from, might have from just New York missed City. It. So, son of a bitch, you may have. I don't know. Oh, ah. it's in September. It's the third Sunday of September right, next year. Yeah. Next year. Next year. We're all gonna. The three of us are all gonna go. We're all gonna <laughs> make the pilgrimage to uh, Cow Harbor Day. Yep, I'm in. Brendan says it was a nice town. It's beautiful, but it has a dark side. Um, Ooh. you. He says you really had to keep your eyes open and watch your back growing up there. He was in countless fights as a kid, as he says, there was a violent undertone everywhere you went wow. in that city. I gotta be honest, I feel like that's probably not the case anymore. I feel like all all of Long it's Island probably become not. pretty milk toast, uh, <laughs> for better or worse, but who knows? Uh, it, it sounds like uh, there was a lot of affluence there, yeah, um, and then a lot of times when you have affluence, you have the other side as well. So I think that there was some clashing between between people there. Um and definitely some uh some teen angst, I would say. Gobs of it. Yeah, gobs of teen angst. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the next album from Jason Hawk Harris. <laughs> yep. Gobs of teenage <laughs> angst. Uh Brendan loved metal and hard rock bands growing up and he spent a lot of time playing guitar in his bedroom and his siblings are also mm-hmm. musicians. So a lot of music in the house. But in 1984, the dark side of Northport reared its head when the Acid King murder happened. Do you right. guys know what that is? Yeah. So, wait, is this the, it's like there was like a satanic ritual homicide killing yeah. or oh, something yeah, like I that? I'm so here for this. <laughs> I didn't plan on this being a Halloween episode, Let's but go. here we are. Yeah, this just became a... It's just became a true mm-hmm. podcast. We've had a couple like Who that. was Brendan B. Brown? <laughs> yeah. You may recognize the killer uh, if you see a photo of him. There's an iconic image of him being arrested. Oh, wow. I, I mainly vaguely remember this. Love the ACDC shirt. He looks like bad news. Yeah. <laughs> he looks like Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> yeah, he, he does. Oh, yeah. Tim, oh, Timothy Chalamet is definitely going to play him in the biopic. For sure. <laughs> yeah. For sure. So this is Ricky Casso, indeed. He was a 17-year-old high school student in Northport. His parents were teenagers at his... Sorry. <laughs> his parents were teachers at his school. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, they were teenagers at one point in their lives. Yeah, um, Ricky frequently used psychedelic drugs, including what was believed to be mescaline, but in actuality was likely LSD. He and his friends were metalheads, if you could imagine, and also pot dealers, and they called themselves Knights of the Black Circle. Super lame. 
Super lame. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Could you come up with a better name than that? I know. Uh, Ricky participated in satanic rituals and occult ceremonies, including one that he attended at the Amityville Horror House, Ooh. which is also on Long Island. Great. He movie. was admitted to psychiatric hospitals a number of times, including once after being arrested for digging up a colonial era grave at a cemetery. His parents tried to have him involuntarily committed at that time, but the psychiatrist determined that Ricky's antisocial behavior was not psychotic nor dangerous. Ricky and his friend Gary Lowers had been taking and selling drugs together, and one time Ricky passed out at a party and Gary stole 10 bags of PCP from Ricky's jacket pocket. Ricky beat up Gary several times after this and made him give it back and give him money. And then on June 19th, 1984, invited Gary to Cow Harbor Park to get high with him and two friends, Jimmy Troiano and Albert Quinones. They all took what they thought was mescaline <laughs> and smoked several bags of PCP oh my and then burned some of their clothing to make a fire. Eventually, Ricky and Gary got into an argument and Ricky stabbed Gary between 17 and 36 times and cut out his eyeballs. Oh, wow. Okay. While doing this, yeah. Ricky repeatedly said, say you love Satan, over and over to Gary. Gary said, I love my mother, before repeating, I love Satan. Ricky and one of the other friends covered the body with leaves and branches and left. That is super dark. Yeah. Jesus, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> Ricky claimed that Satan had visited him in the form of a black crow after the murder and cawed in approval. He then brought several friends to the scene of the crime to prove that he did it before burying the body with help from Jimmy to further hide it. A bad idea. I'm not a, I'm not a criminal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I feel like number one is don't bring people to the yeah. crime scene. Yeah. That's typically, okay. yeah. I, I think number one is actually kids don't do drugs. That's, that's a good point. Good point. Yeah. Number two, keep people away from the scene of the crime. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think he would have gotten caught anyway. But yes, that was stupid. Uh, two weeks went by and the police got an anonymous tip that prompted them to take search dogs to Cow Harbor Park. Albert and Jimmy were acquitted of second degree murder after their testimonies. And Ricky died by suicide in his jail cell wow. before he was sentenced. There are numerous books, films, and songs inspired by this incident. Furthermore, the Acid King murder took place during and was a major catalyst of the Satanic Panic. Mm, yeah. Especially in New York. Uh, the murder was depicted in the media and by politicians as an occult sacrifice, and the Satanic content and heavy metal lyrics and role-playing games like Dungeons & Dragons was blamed for turning teenagers into violent Satanists. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> and of course, Ricky was wearing an ACDC shirt at the time of his arrest. <laughs> and the imagery went on to be iconic in its usage and coverage and propaganda of the satanic panic. Is there any comment from ACDC about this? I don't know, actually. I'd be curious to see if they had anything to say about it. I, I would be curious to know. Um, I could also see them just completely ignoring it and not saying anything That's about it. That's probably the right move for them, honestly. Right. Yeah, I think so, too. If he was wearing a Black Sabbath t-shirt, they'd be like, fuck yeah, let's go! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it's also kind of funny that ACDC got wrapped up into this, and they're like one of the least satanic <laughs> yeah. bands in metal. Uh, excuse me, Highway to Hell? Ooh. Okay. Man's got okay. point. We're just, Man's you know, compared, compared to Slayer and Iron Maiden. Yeah, you're and- right. They're, they're fine. <laughs> yeah. Highway to Hell is their best song. Anyway. Oh, by far. ACDC was also one of our guy Brendan's favorite bands. Okay. He and many others in Newport were traumatized by this incident. Wait, how old is Brendan? Brendan was not. Uh, he was 11. Oh, shit. Yeah. That's formative. Yeah. 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 Uh, so he and many others in Newport were traumatized, and he was not only scared and worried from the murder, but many of the adults in town, parents, police, pastors, he, he calls all them out started questioning what he and his friends were listening to, specifically calling out heavy metal as satanic and dangerous. Brennan's mother pulled him out of public high school, and he had to commute three hours round trip via train to a private school. That's nuts. Yep. For a period, he felt as if loving music was wrong, and he had relatively no friends or a social life due to his long commute to and from school. That fall... Rolling Stone published an article titled Cult Killing Kids in the Dark with the subheadline The Lost Kids of Northport, Long Island Tell a Grisly Tale of Drugs, Devil Worship, and Murder. According to a 2020 article also in Rolling Stone by Jonathan Bernstein, Brendan had read the 1984 Rolling Stone article in the magazine, and this is the first place he saw the word dirtbag. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. You know, I've uh, I've always thought it was interesting that the word is dirtbag here because yeah, that's it. I mean, even for the when this song was in its heyday, which was what like early early two thousands. Yeah, two thousand two thousand one. Okay, yeah. so like dirtbag is just not a commonly used term mm-hmm. in the year two thousand, and I've always thought you're it was totally scary, right. So that's really funny. That's true. Yeah. I never thought about it, but yeah, it would, would would it not have been in the vernacular before the no. song? No. No. It was not yet a popular slang term, and uh, when Brendan read the article, which was written by David Breskin, uh, there's a description of several teenagers, and he had spent time, the, the author uh, had spent time in Northport and had picked up the slang from kids there. The line itself was veteran dirtbag street kids. <laughs> <laughs> Ricky and his friends were like frequently like sleeping in cars, sleeping in the woods, like they're dirtbags well, for sure. What do we think the actual like derivation is though? Like old school hobo wearing like corn sacks? Like, <laughs> I don't know. There's gotta be some like old school uh, derivation. I don't know. Yeah. Since we're in the baseball uh MLB playoffs. I do want to say that the Cal State Long Beach baseball team, their mascot is the dirt bag. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, but like a baseball dirt yeah, bag. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But um, right. I've always thought that was pretty cool. A lot of ACDC t-shirts at that school. There's a lot of climbing references because like a dirt bag would be like that. Mm. So. Oh, yeah. So you got the, you got the, uh, the chalk in the yeah. bag. Yeah. Mm. I think we might have to leave this that it was a Northport word. Yeah, I think you're right. Northport did yeah. it. I mean, like, every article says, like, it's obvious. It means, like, a bag of dirt, right. an unkempt person. But, but okay. Like, there has to be a first time that it was used. 
I had friends in Chicago that used it, and it was definitely like people who hung around at you know, like punk bars and music venues and yeah, like rock music and had long hair. Like it was always a term of like you know, oh that guy's a dirtbag. Like it's almost (laughs) like a real a real troublemaker. Yeah, real troublemaker. Just like I mean, I think here I'm just like picturing without all the Satan stuff. I'm just picturing like yeah, like. Long hair, metal tea, smoking weed. It's like mm-hmm. uh, Jay and Silent Bob, dirtbags. Right. Those no, are dirt totally. Bags. Those are the like primo dirtbags right there. Yeah. But I feel like people have used it as a term of endearment so early mm-hmm. on. Like they embrace that atmosphere. Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm a dirtbag. Like I'm a counterculture. I think this song had a lot to do with that. Maybe so. Yeah. I, re- I, I really do. Brendan said that uh, looking back at the Rolling Stone story, he does find that the word was used correctly. But he points out that it should not be hyphenated, and it's hyphenated in the mm. in the original article. Just one word. It's supposed to be one word? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When he read that, he felt like that described him and his taste in music, style of dress, and he knew that that didn't mean that he was evil or satanic. He just loved rock music, and the word dirtbag rattled around in his brain for years to come. Mm. Brendan then went to college at the University of Scranton and then moved to Manhattan, where he played in a band that at one point opened for Joan Jett. Through these years, he kept working on a song that was just called Dirtbag. And the opening E chord was borrowed from Tom Sawyer by Rush. And he he said that the whole time, ever since he came up with a riff in college, he just said, every band has a big rock song that's in the key of E, and that's what I want to make. All so right. he's working on this one song, uh, and the guitar playing morphed into a juxtaposition of the metal music he was listening to and the folk music he was listening to. Mm-hmm. He wanted the distortion of ACDC and Dinosaur Jr. and Husker Du, but the acoustic tones of Paul Simon, the Indigo Girls, and Willie Nelson. <laughs> wow. <laughs> None of those acoustic tones sound anywhere <laughs> close to each other <laughs> i mean that's about as like if you could say three completely different acoustic guitar tones you would say those three artists no offense brendan so he just meant but acoustic so guitar. maybe if you <laughs> yeah put them all together you get weedus you get weedus yeah. that's definitely yeah. what it is there you go. that's definitely what it is he said that in college he wrote it while lying on a futon staring at the ceiling in a rented apartment mm-hmm and he was inspired by the traditional American high school experience of the 80s, which is something that he'd had ideas about after spending his own teenage years at an all-male boarding school. Definitely uh, basing it on, like, John Hughes movies. Right, I was just thinking know. Lloyd Dobler. Like, this yeah, is totally yeah, yeah, Lloyd yeah, Dobler. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, John Hughes, Cameron Crowe. Yeah, totally. That's what he was trying to do. It eventually turned into an anthem against all the teachers and parents and pastors and police and everybody else in his town that thought that he was evil and also all the older kids who used to beat him up and he essentially created a fantasy for the main character that he wishes that he would have lived out instead of what he did experience Mm -hmm. um a lot of which he feels was affected by by the acid king murder and he said that the song turned into Wild abandon of not giving a fuck, saying, I'm a loser, but listen to this huge rock song I made. Mm. This is giving a lot of context. I was amazed by all of this. Like, it's so I, deep. I, I kind of thought 
this song, I always thought of this song as like a, every now and then I'll write a song that just like comes out in 10 minutes, fully yeah. formed. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't even have to really think about it. And it's just done. I think that's happened like two times my whole life. Um, this has always seemed like one of those songs, but this clearly like the <laughs> genesis of yeah. what went into this song is clearly like a lot more complicated and there's a lot more nuance to it. And, you know, his background clearly had something to do with it. And, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, uh, he worked on the song for like a decade and a half. It's incredible. Right. Yeah. Wow. Um, and he never let it go. Like how many ideas when we were teenagers were like seen through, you know, oh, dude, none. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. I gave up on so many ideas. <laughs> he did pick Iron Maiden for a reason in the song. He viewed the band famous for their 1982 song, The Number of the Beast, mm-hmm. as the main target of the heavy metal as Satanism crusade. Yep. Yeah. Uh, And I know that they were mentioned by Tipper Gore when she was in in, uh, Congress trying to get them to do the internal advisory stickers. Yeah. And he said that that was a mindset he just grew up with. He was like, I have to pick Iron Man. Like, this is the band that fits this the most. Can I tell you a funny story? Of course. I know. uh, So this song came out when I was in the sixth grade. And I... um, there was this kid that was in the seventh grade who I'm still friends with today. He works at the uh, the burrito um, the burrito joint um, down the road. He manages it. <laughs> Amazing. His name is Justin Dent, and he's a total fucking legend. Um, <laughs> just to give you an idea of like what this guy was like, is in and at that age was like I remember like. I was like somebody was trying to pick a fight with me or something. I got I got in a lot of fights as a kid, not starting them, but just because I was like I don't know, an easy target. And like, but I always you know I I always would get in these fights and fight back. And, and a big reason why I did fight back is because Justin Dent gave me a piece of advice, and he said, "You know what, man? It's not about how big you are. It's about how ready to die you are." <laughs> And so that's brilliant until the last fight I got into, which I think was like 11th grade. I just, man, I just, that's what I thought every time I was like, I'm I'm ready to die. Let's go. (laughs) But anyways, Justin Dent would wear an Iron Maiden shirt like all Mm. the time. And um, I thought he was the coolest dude on the planet. Coolest dirtbag in school. Yeah, coolest dirtbag in school. <laughs> and um, But I had never heard their music, and it wasn't like I could just go look it up on Spotify. Um, Kazaa and Napster were just starting to, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're just starting to be a thing there. And I didn't really have the computer to download a bunch of stuff. And um, if I was going to download stuff, I was going to download something by Green Day or Blink-182, because those are the <laughs> bands that I really was into. When I first heard this song, I thought that it was Iron Maiden. <laughs> <laughs> and so for about six, seven, eight months, I thought it was Iron Maiden. <laughs> because they said, listen to Iron Maiden, baby. And I was like, oh, that must be like, they're listening yeah. to... And I was like... You know, this doesn't sound like what I thought Iron Maiden would Their sound t-shirts like. are really intense for how yeah. that sounds. Yeah, this is really <laughs> weird. But anyways, like, I, I essentially learned a little bit later on, because um, somebody, I, I met this other guy, and I was trying to be cool, and he was like, you like Iron Maiden? I was like, yeah, yeah, man, I Fuck love yeah. Iron Maiden. 
And 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 fortunately, he didn't ask me what my favorite song was. He just put <laughs> the, the CD on, and I think it was uh, "Run to the Hills." And I was like, "Oh!" <laughs> and you didn't makes, say anything. This makes sense. Of course, I didn't say anything. <laughs> yeah, there's so much happening yeah. here because it's yeah. so good. A band to like reference their own name in a song is like so hip hop. Iron Maiden would never oh, yeah. do that, but I love it. Iron Maiden would never do that. And not yeah. even Beatus, I think. Probably not. Yeah. I feel like even Iron Maiden's merchandise is still heavier than they actually are. Like, Eddie and the whole skeleton vibe is just I think you're right. like yeah. so intense. Yeah. And Iron Maiden is like a really accessible metal band, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's not like... Yeah, they're not Cannibal Corpse. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, they have like beautiful vocals <laughs> and harmonized guitar stuff. Yeah, it's like symphonic. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, man. That is good. Well, whenever you go get a burrito yeah. and see Justin, you got to tell him he made it into the episode. Yeah. I'll let him know. <laughs> <laughs> he'll be like, yeah, whatever, man. <laughs> or he'll be like, dude, weed is fucking rules. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll be like, I fucking love that stuff, man. <laughs> What's really funny, too, about this whole, the, the um satanic panic and how he wanted to, how brendan wanted to use iron maiden he he said that when all that was happening it was the first time that he noticed that adults are hypocrites nice it was like a, a like something that he maintained throughout his life as you'll see yeah <laughs> um and as we know he he made a uh, male and female part for the song right which prompted many people to assume there was a female vocalist or they used some sort of technology to pitch up his voice. It's him, though. It's him. Oh, yeah, it's him. And there's been a viral video the last few weeks that uh, Jamie actually showed me, I've seen a few times, where people take a clip from a recent performance and the first person posted it was like, today I learned that there's only one singer in this song. This is insane. And it just, like, kind of blew up. And there is an article in the Guardian about it, and they asked him why, why he did that, mm-hmm. and he said, "Well, the boyfriend character was based on a nameless conglomeration of the many douchebag bullies who wanted to show you their father's gun." Mm. But I sang both the male and female parts because when I was getting beat up, a lot of bullies were homophobic, and I would irritate them by putting on a female voice. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> he said they'd be like shooting homophobic slurs at him. And he's like, they don't even know anything about you. It's just what they say. And he said, I'd find that it would compress the time that I'm getting my the shit kicked out of me if I just put on a girl voice and freak them out. <laughs> that is so fucking punk rock right there. <laughs> it is. Here's the clip that everyone's been sharing of him singing that. About me. This is so great. She said I got tickets to wire. I love the big breath at a time. And this is three years ago. He sounds amazing. Is this a bass session? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. There it is. You did one of those, right? I did. Oh, wow. That's cool. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool, man. I mean, it's super, like, they've got... What three three backup singers? They've got percussion. It's pretty yeah. cool. Got a guy playing five string bass. Yeah. <laughs> got a guy with a little, little keyboard. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I, I gotta go listen to that whole thing. That's really cool. 
So that is indeed him singing both voices. You know, that's kind of the composition of the song. It does have an additional chorus, the part that we just heard, the oh yeah, mm-hmm. dirtbag. And he just said he wanted it to be even bigger. So he's like, why don't we have two choruses? And just wrote another one. There you go. Which is, yeah, amazing. Yeah, love that move. So I did watch a short documentary that Vice made about this song. And that will inform a lot of what I'm about to talk about, uh, which is really how the band came together. So he had the song, and he's living in Manhattan in the late 90s, and he goes to a guitar center, and he meets Phil A. Jimenez. Phil's working at a guitar center. Brendan's a customer. They start chatting, and they just hit it off. And Brendan shows him the song in the store. He starts playing it. And Phil starts drumming along on a steel drum. And he said that he had to be a part of this. Like, he heard this song and he was like, I, I, need, to, I need to jam with this guy and be a part of this song. Uh, the song. The song is yeah, the 20 song. years in the making here. I know. So the two of them, uh, in the documentary, they go to the guitar center where they met and they film, like, an interview together. It's so cute. They're all which, excited. Which guitar center was it? I don't know, actually. I just know it's in New York. I'm assuming 14th Street. Yeah, probably. But Phil also grew up in a strict Catholic household and saw eye to eye with Brendan and in turn understood the song. So Brendan moved all of his music gear into Phil's house and they got to work on the first Wheatus demos. They used an Akai MPC 2000 sampler to program all the drums. Wow. <laughs> and the only discs they had were from hip hop and house songs. So. Oh. All of the drums on the demo are house and hip hop like uh, drum machines. And they said that they were trying to record rock instruments over hip hop drums to try to be like Run DMC. <laughs> so here's, uh, let's check out the demo version of Teenage Dirtbag. Oh, wow. Right. I'm very excited about this. Comac, he's rocking a Long Island jersey. Oh, yeah. This vocal take is nails. Yeah, it's pretty dead horn. And, like, because you told me it's a little hip-hop drum beat in the background, you can kind of feel it. But yeah. I don't know that I'd pick up on that necessarily. Probably not. I mean, the whatever sample they have, the drums sound pretty live. Uh, they did. It does sound a little garage bandy. It does, but it's a hell of a demo. Yeah. And also, they couldn't use garage band. I don't know what they actually recorded on. Yeah. Tape, probably. It sounds like... Um, did you guys know uh, a radio with guts? No. I don't think so. It kind of sounds like if it was recorded in this way, if this was the original, like, you know, the one that came out, um, it sounds like something that they would have done. Uh, I'm not familiar. Yeah. Well, I'll check it out. Well, meanwhile, they got a band together to play the songs live, including Brendan's brother Peter on drums, as well as bassist Rich Leggy. They called the band Weedus, a nickname given to the Brown brothers by their father when they were children. That's it. Don't. Which I also think, I'm pretty sure in our Weezer episode, it was like a similar thing, right? Like a family nickname? Pretty sure. Yeah. 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 Huh. They started playing clubs in Manhattan, which over the course of a year became more and more full of fans. And eventually the shows were selling out. 
and Kevin Patrick, who was an A&R at Columbia Records, heard the band after his assistant played him a cassette with Teenage Dirtbag on it. And Kevin was hooked and saw them play a show at the Mercury Lounge, a place in New York that's actually still Ooh. open. Because every place we mention in New York is closed. True. I spent <laughs> still there. many nights at Mercury Lounge. Yeah. I laid right on the corner. I played Mercury Lounge once. I like that place. Yeah, great. Kevin felt a kinship with Brendan. He had also come from a similar musical background and had been a bit of an outcast himself as a youth. The song spoke to him, too. The band signed to Columbia, and the label said, we're releasing the demo tape as is. And Brendan was like, fuck that. Give me an advance so we can make a (laughs) good-sounding record. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, where's that? Advance, so Kevin, yo? the A and R guy. You know what? That made with what I've learned about like record labels in that day. Like that sounds about right. Mm-hmm. They would just release whatever they could until something. Stopped. Oh yeah, but they also had a fuck ton of money. So just like give the band some money. Yeah. Well, I could I could see them being like, "Hey, we're gonna put the demo out as is," but you have a hundred and twenty thousand dollar music video budget. Yeah. So. Take the helicopter and the explosions you want. We're going to make it look fucking cool. You're going to be playing your demo on a boat. It's going to be awesome. Absolutely. Kevin, the A&R guy, got them the money. But they said, Columbia said, you have three weeks to record the album. And if it doesn't sound better than the demo, we're releasing the demo. (laughs) (laughs) Who produced it? The band did themselves. The band did. Yep. They got to work promptly on their major label debut in Brendan's mom's house. <laughs> they brought in all the gear, set up all throughout the house. The control room was like in the dining room. I mean, there's a bunch of footage in the Vice documentary and it's amazing. It's so great. His mom's in that. it. It's really good. Uh, his mom says that they ruined her wallpaper because they put tape up to keep track of all the recordings. <laughs> uh, and they went back and replaced every single instrument from the demo, everything from scratch. Completely. Nice. And that is, that's the version that we now know. Um, wow. And I do want to mention that you could probably notice, but the in the chorus, he's just doubling. That it's like just two of the same vocal tracks on the, and there's no harmonies. Right. And he said he wanted to do that to sound like Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> yeah, that's how you do it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, also have totally. Ozzy's voice, but. Well, yeah. The band turned in the album to Columbia. On the one-year anniversary of the Columbine Massacre. (laughs) Columbia did not care for the lyric, Her boyfriend's a dick, he brings a gun to school. school. (laughs) Uh, The Columbia radio promoter tried to send the song out to stations, and most of them refused to play it because of the lyric. Also, Walmart refused to sell the album, even though they sell guns at Walmart. Well, that's how they, you know, keep it separated. Yeah, right. They don't encourage uh, it. Yeah. We don't encourage it. We just, we'll just sell it. To, we'll sell you the gun. Exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Pardon the interruption, but I, Theo, have a favor to ask of you, and I'm throwing in a fun incentive as well. I will be running the New York City Marathon in just a few short weeks, and I'm raising money for an amazing organization called the Hole in the Wall Gang. Started by the late, great Paul Newman, the Hole in the Wall Gang sends seriously ill children and their families free of charge to camp so that these kids can take a break, 
have fun and be around a community of amazing people who understand what they're going through. It's a different type of healing and one that I am so proud to be supporting. So if you're able, please head to our socials, find the link, and you can donate. Here's the fun part. For all of our listeners who donate, please include your name and a song recommendation for us to one day cover on this very podcast. We're going to choose one lucky listener, and we will do a special episode dedicated to you, and we will talk about the song of your choice. So again, head to our socials, find the link to my charity page, donate some dollars if you're able, and give us your best song recommendation. Thank you, and back to the show. Columbia asked Brendan to re-record the song with a new lyric, and he felt as if this was erasing his history and trauma and the life-changing things that happened in Northport when he was growing up there. And I'm sure you can also remember after the Columbine massacre, the media was dissecting rock music, specifically Mm -hmm. metal, and saying that the killers listened to metal and blamed it for the shooting, just like they did with the Acid King murder. Mm. Brendan felt like it was happening all over again, and he said to Columbia, and I quote, go fuck yourselves. (laughs) I I love this song so. so much more than I did at the beginning of this episode. <laughs> I remember Columbine yeah. being blamed on Eminem. But what other what other bands was it was it blamed uh Marilyn, Marilyn Manson, Corn, yeah. uh oh, I think one, like yeah, yeah. Rob Zombie, like all that stuff that was popular then. So the label did make a radio edit uh with a record scratch over the gun lyric and over over the word dick. Um, oh, wow. But there are record that. scratches like all throughout the song because it was 1999 and that's what you did. Uh, so I guess that was the easy route. But let, let's just uh, let's just hear the radio edit real quick here. I I fucking hate this shit. <laughs> like I hate that they ever did this. I hate that they thought that this would make up for the fact that they're like butchering this verse like we'll just put record <laughs> scratches over it like what the <laughs> fuck i literally can't even understand what he's saying now i've lost all context yep. to the song yep like or maybe people just don't listen to lyrics like i do i don't know it's just like it's insane to me that this was a thing and still yeah is. it still is for sure like Big time. i mean for my record i have a radio edit of a song that has the fuck yeah. word in it <laughs> and I, I said I, I made up a completely new lyric. Oh, really? Because I didn't just want to bleep it out. I just made up a yeah. new lyric. And like, I don't know. This this always drives me fucking batshit. That they think like, oh, we'll just do a record scratch, or we'll just take the word. Or out they'll completely. play it backward. They used to do that a lot with yeah. rap songs. I'm gonna play devil's advocate here. I think if I was a radio exec, label exec, whatever, at this time. When singles are dying, Napster, as you said, Napster and LimeWire are taken off. This might be a strategy to, if you hear this song on the radio, you're like, what is he saying? You might go out and buy this thing yeah. from Sam Goody or the <laughs> yeah. wall or something. That, was would, time that you could would do make that. me, that would, if that was it, if that's the reason they did it, it makes me hate it even more. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that they would do that shit and think, you know, this could actually work out for us. We'll ruin, we'll ruin this you song know they're thinking that. So that you people know they're will go buy that. it. Yeah. That drives me nuts. If they're not thinking that, they're thinking, we need to stop school shootings by not mentioning guns and songs. And that clearly 
didn't yeah, fucking that's work. Gonna fucking looking back it. 23 yeah, years exactly. later. Well, maybe if they would have realized that the song was a commentary on teenage violence, then, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm worked up. I'm feeling salty. I'm I don't sense that this is the end of my saltiness. Uh probably not. Let's no. let's move on. The song did struggle upon release. Radio stations just didn't seem to get it with the gun lyric or not. Did his voice have anything to do with that? I don't know actually, but I could I could see that. Um Several of the stations specifically said they don't know why they'd play a song about Iron Maiden because they don't play Iron Maiden. That's what they're stuck with. What a bunch of troglodytes. The, yeah, the the <laughs> great word. The the radio promoter from Columbia is in the documentary and he's like, These guys are boneheads. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> That's so stupid. Uh, so the uh the song got to number seven on the alternative chart, the Billboard alternative chart. And stopped there. And the band thought that was awesome. That is awesome. The label thought it was a flop. Gosh. I'd be so stoked if I was on, like, if I was number seven on a Billboard chart. Yeah. 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 (laughs) The band's tour was also barely selling. Uh, Brendan remembers playing a show where there were two people who showed up, and it's because they thought Smash Mouth was playing. Wow. Yeah, I remember I played that show too. I played that show, <laughs> I, I played that show in uh in um Columbia, South Carolina. Mm. That's not a fun show. And they play. and they were like, I thought Smash Mouth was playing. Play All Star. Yeah, they were like uh it was more like um um it was the sound guy and the bartender yeah, situation. Yeah, I've played a yeah. couple of shows like that too. Mm-hmm. And naturally imposter syndrome started to creep in. And Brendan felt like he hadn't written a good song. He hadn't made a good album. His voice wasn't good. And the song was dead in the water. And then Brendan gets a phone call. Teenage Dirtbag is number one in Australia. God, Australians <laughs> love American music. They just know. They know their <laughs> they shit. Know. They, they do. They love, they got great they love all the good American music. And then their music is awesome. Literally, without yeah. every single song we talk about, like <laughs> the song stalled at forty six, went number one in Australia. You're like, how the fuck? Like, what is happening over there? So much of American music history has been written by Australia. Yeah, yeah. that's wild. I yeah. did not know this. That's crazy. The album had already gone quadruple platinum in Australia. Damn, it's a big deal quadruple platinum is that yeah. four million i don't know the australian number is lower because they have a lower population but it's a oh. lot of records i was gonna say yeah. it's like four million people in australia yeah like, right be. yeah so we just went to australia and they went on tour and it was a whole new world every show was sold out that they played and then they get another call this thing's shooting up the chart in the uk you got to go to england so they go to england and they couldn't even find the album in stores because it had completely sold out and they didn't have enough CDs. Wow. They toured the UK and Europe nonstop for a year and played festivals like Reading and Leeds. Damn. <laughs> Meanwhile, back home, no one knows who Weedus is. <laughs> <laughs> and his friends and family didn't believe him when he was telling them about all this going on overseas. So much that his cousin gave him a t-shirt for Christmas that said, I'm big in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Super lame, though. Yeah. Like, to, to be that, that person yeah. in the family. 
it's like ah nah right you're you're dumb i mean he couldn't like pull up smartphone videos i guess he'd be like yeah i don't know a lot of people were there (laughs) i guess that's true it never uh it never really got played on the radio in the u.s other than on alternative it uh got played a lot on mtv which is where i'm sure we all saw it um and i think i just like had friends talk about the song like, I heard it on ninety four point five The Buzz. Yeah, that makes sense. That Houston's makes sense. Rock station was the DJ's name Spider or something like that. Probably <laughs> or like or like Blaze or something <laughs> yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> the overseas success really is is what did it for the song, and then that that influenced uh, video rotation in the U.S. But the ship had sailed on U.S. radio on that song, which is really interesting. Wow. Remember when I mentioned those drum samples coming from hip hop and house drum mm-hmm. machines? Oh, they get sued. They didn't, but maybe that explains the fucking snare drum in this song. <laughs> Have you guys ever thought about this? Yeah, it's like Incubus on steroids. <laughs> totally, it's like a piccolo yeah. snare. It's terrible. It's a soprano snare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've I had thought about this before this song in particular. I think because verses a lot of other rock music at the time the verses are so sparse that uh-huh. like it really cuts through it's like as loud as his vocals yeah and what i find amazing is that it sounded fairly similar in the demo and then they just crank it up with the live drums should we talk about snare sounds for a second for the for the audience oh yeah we should like, what, do we, what do we mean when we're saying when we're when we're talking shit about the snare drums uh it is high pitched uh it sounds like uh Ringy, yeah. high pitched it sounds like a marching like, band drum yeah a lot of ghost notes like in between stuff and that's all ringing too yeah shot very echoey it like has its own pitch yeah and i think in this song it's not even tuned to the same to the same it, key as the song <laughs> it's the worst it might be it's the worst part of music that was recorded in the late nineties and the early. 2000s. And that's really saying something. It, it really is like it, it's, it can be so distracting, cover up the entire vocal. Like to this day, I can't listen to incubus <laughs> and that bass player is killer. I love that bass player. He's, he's a, he's a G. Uh, but, Theo, Theo and I are both, uh, both big fans. Yeah. I cannot listen to their. Well, it is their, funny. Their you you're a much bigger Incubus fan than I am. I love Incubus, but you're a huge fan. But it's funny when you made that comment. I was like, oh yeah, that's like <laughs> the Incubus sound. <laughs> it's just like it hard wound or snare like three, drum. Three eleven. Oh, yeah. three eleven is like the biggest culprit. I'd shit. say, yeah. and I I think I don't think Incubus uses it in recorded music anymore. You know, three eleven still does. Oh, like definitely. Like, hey, hey man, the sound is like they're like in the studio today, and the producer they're like, hey man. Can you like, I don't know, the snare drum sounds weird. It's like deep. <laughs> it's like it's like full and deep and like it fits in the song really well. Yeah. Um, we don't we don't like that. We don't like that, man. Please don't put any compression on the snare whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I felt vindicated back in 2018. I remember seeing this Vice article come up and I found it again. The headline is I'm still livid about the shitty drum sound on Wheatus's Teenage Dirtbag. <laughs> it's by Phil Whitmer, and it's brilliant. <laughs> he says, you hear it, right? That ridiculous ringing parring sound on the two and four of the beat? 
The man making that sound is named Peter Brown, and he had absolutely no right to tune his snare that tightly. A snare for a song like this should be flat and atonal, as in Teenage Dirtbag's close sonic cousin, My Own Worst Enemy. It should, depending on how tight the skin is, go anywhere from pa to pay. Parng is not acceptable. Parng will not do. Parng. Yeah. That's exactly what it sounds yeah, like. Parng is the driving yeah. force of Teenage Dirtbag. It skewers through the entire mix like an alt-rock kebab. The gun-toting <laughs> asshole boyfriends and beloved metal bands described in the song's lyrics cowering in its presence. <laughs> And then it describes uh, other bands that use it, such as Limp Bizkit, Deftones, NERD, and they they definitely talk a lot about 311. I'm glad music writers have kind of chilled out a little bit, but <laughs> I sort of I sort of miss like just absolutely reading and reading a, a review of someone getting eviscerated. Yeah, I feel like it kind of <laughs> went away after the pandemic. Like everyone was mm-hmm. started to be a little nicer. Everybody's like, ah, it's too fucking hard to be this mean all the time. Yeah, and yeah. Let's not pick on the musicians. Yeah, let's rewind. Uh, it does mention, and I, I thought this, that's why I brought up the, the hip-hop samples. It said that, like, at this time, rock music was really emulating reggae and rap. And they said mm-hmm. both of which were genres being played slash mangled by largely interchangeable soul-patched white dudes. <laughs> Because, I, I mean, this song also has turntables in it. Yeah. Well, but going back to that first album cover, the guy in the pink shirt rocking a soul patch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, so, you know he was all about that snare drum. You know, <laughs> yeah, that guy yeah. was like, guys, I got the sound. I got the sound of the snare drum. Well, they also recorded it in his mom's apartment, right? Her house, yeah. Okay, well, I mean... Yeah. <laughs> that well, doesn't mean you need to key up the snare well, like that. fair, but like, I wasn't <laughs> expecting gold here. <laughs> that's true that's true that's yeah. a good point and like you know drum sounds are they can be kind of the one of the more make or break things in the production of a record in general 80s country music anyone oh, some of that gosh. shit is unlistenable yeah. the songs are amazing and the drums are horrific yeah there are so many Lyle Lovett songs that I think are fucking amazing yep, that I will totally. not listen to wow, because the drums are just horrendous uh, all, uh, the Highwaymen record mm-hmm. my god yeah. It's awful. It's awful. I'll mention one other thing from that article about the snare drum. It says, though the piccolo snare is instantly dated, it's pretty funny to think about how new metal, which was based on sounding as tough as possible, ri- relied on such a non-beefy snare drum in comparison to other metal subgenres. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Teenage Dirtbag lives on. Brendan sees Teenage Dirtbag, or I, I should say past tense. I don't know how he feels about it now. But Brendan saw Teenage Dirtbag and more generally his band, as a subtle rejection of the hyper-masculine rock music Mm. that was selling to tens of millions in the late 90s. He said, There is a little bit of a toxicity to tough guy music emerging around that time that I very much wanted to distance us from. Mm. And he pointed out that they were neither a boy band nor a macho hard rock group. They were just hard to place, and he thinks that that is also... Possibly what was uh, giving them issues at radio. Uh, and he said, and on pop radio, we had heavy guitars and we talked about guns and dicks. Yeah. It's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. I feel like the legacy of this song is what it is because it's sort of a revenge of the nerds moment. 
Totally. You know, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because like that's a I great mean, point. I think people even during that time were kind of sick of guitar rock, even though it still kept going for a while and like maybe had its uh, jump the shark moment with bands like The Darkness. The guitar used to be like this subversive instrument. Yeah, you know? and then it became like the butt rock instrument. Exactly. It's like when fucking country singers jock. It's when jocks discovered auto tune is why country is so bad now. <laughs> you know, so I feel like a lot of jocks discovered. You know, and you had bands like Godsmack, and yeah. like you know, just really stained. And now stained. that guy's like an alt right bully. Yeah. yeah, and like totally. I mean, it, it just it, it's such a like. This song still rings to me as subversive. Totally. I definitely agree. Knowing the subject matter now has just like totally blown my mind. Yeah. And it makes so much sense. Brendan was asked a lot at the time what a teenage dirtbag was. And he would just say like, it's someone who does their own thing, marches to the beat of their own drum, etc. And then he said after a few years, it was like, I know it's not a fun pop song story to tell, but like, I need to tell the truth about what this is about. And Mm so it's been a more recent thing that he's talked openly about the inspiration for the song and what it means to him and how it relates to his life. Is this song our generation's teenage wasteland? It might be. I like that. I mean, it's more cynical, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. But the who has a bunch of other songs that are very, but we're a cynical generation. Yeah, that's definitely true. The boomers, they were stoked about everything. Yeah, they were, because then they fucked it all up, and then we had to live through it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you guys remember the music video particularly mm, well? I remember that there's a lot of like 90s group playing scenes. Okay. Do you remember much, Theo? I don't. I just want oh, to get a peek at this snare drum, honestly. Where, where are you going? <laughs> Well, here's the video. Let's all let's video. all watch it together. Right. Okay. Didn't realize it was going to be a dream situation. Yeah. And it's... Oh, he's wearing the Comac jersey in the video. Yep. Yeah, he is. And you notice who the star is? Mr. Jason Biggs? Uh, Jason Biggs, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. I do not remember Wait, this. Because this was... This was the song in that movie called Loser, right? Yes, it was. Okay. Mina Suvari is also in this. Yeah, she's she's oh, that that yeah. Is? Yep. She looks uh, yeah, Bucket Hat. It's all here. They're playing in a high school gym. So I always remember this being footage from the movie, but they actually filmed the video with these actors. This is not you know, in the nineties, like they would just like in the early two thousands, they just splice in clips from the movie to try to sell the movie. This yeah, is all, yeah. like, originally filmed stuff for this video. I also love that he, he just said fuck it and rocked on the acoustic guitar the whole video, yeah. even though there's, like, distorted electric guitar. Ah! Why did they bleep out the yeah. video? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's what played on MTV. Uh, how long before, it can't be that long before, P.O.D.'s Youth the Nation... The entire song's about school shootings, and that was gotta be the same period. Yeah, that but that song was stage, like, though. it was like, I guess you're right. Yeah, you know, still. we're all in this together. This guy's like, these guys are dicks. Yeah, I love how like the song that calls the guys that bring guns to school shitheads has to bleep that out. Yeah, 
Right. And the one that says they're misunderstood is the one yeah. that's fine. Yes, this song was in the, the film Loser and Jeff Gordon. Yes, his name is Jeff Gordon, who directed the movie, also directed the video, and featured the stars. The movie was a box office failure and received overly negative reviews. It was horrendous. I remember watching it. I don't think I've seen it. But it was, you know, it was it was right after American Pie had a bunch of the stars in it, you know. So the video tells a different story about the same characters from the film. Um, I mean, literally him trying to get her to go to an Iron Maiden concert and then she asks him, they dance on prom night. That's the story. However, in some cases, the beginning and end of the video were deleted. Uh, the one that we saw is where he's falling asleep and he has, it's like a dream. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end, uh, there's a, a bunch of glitter coming from the ceiling. And I guess, I don't know if, cause it was too long to include non-music portions. It was cut out a lot when it was played on, played on TV. So they just, yeah. nobody, nobody in the business wants you to be a fucking artist. I know. Oh man, I'm at this that song point. is long too. This song's over four minutes. I'm, re- I'm definitely getting to that. Like, I get to this really, really uh, um, intense moment of clarity about the music business. <laughs> whenever I have my second glass of wine, I'm just like, it's all fucking bullshit. Nobody cares about anything. Nobody cares about anything. We've heard a lot of these types of stories on this show. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be fair, even YouTube at the end of the video is putting on like the up next videos over top of the actual like yeah, yeah right? screen waking up sequence. I hate that when I watch movies. You know, while the phrase teenage dirtbag might be a term of endearment, being a regular old dirtbag because you're tired and uncaffeinated, it's not cool. And that is where Dark Matter Coffee comes in. Dark Matter Coffee is premium roasted coffee straight out of Chicago. Have you ever met any dirtbags in Chicago? No, exactly. That's because they're all drinking dark matter coffee and they're feeling great. They're alive. They've got energy. And that's what you need. That's what you need in your life. So go to darkmattercoffee.com, order yourself some premium roast coffee, and use the code WANNADAYHITCAST for free shipping. That's right. Don't be a regular old dirtbag. Get yourself some dark matter coffee. Use the code WANNADAYHITCAST. Well, in spite... In spite of all the cynicism of the managerial decisions and managerial interruptions, this song definitely just shone through. It definitely did. And that's, and that's the thing is that, you know, with limitations comes creativity. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these things we love wouldn't be the way they are without some of these suits making dumbass decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Or trying to. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the disco ball falls on him at the end and he wakes up and it was all a dream, which I feel like is kind of bullshit. He should just be able to have it all, right? Mm -hmm. But again, the song is like an alternate reality in general for the experience that he didn't have. We already know it's a fucking dream. (laughs) You don't have to see the guy falling asleep and waking up to know that this is not his reality. We don't need to right. be spoon-fed <laughs> the realness of what's happening here. We want to suspend reality, and we want to live this fantasy with him. I come to TRL for the fantasy. U.S. charting was pretty minimal, so instead of doing our normal let's go down the top ten, we're going to look at what else was on the Loser soundtrack. Oh, okay. I don't remember the movie at all. 
I, I think it was very forgettable. I mean, it's got like a 12% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's it's, it's pretty bad. Know. I've seen it. Although, there were some movies at that time that did well, even though they had horrible reviews, because yeah. things work differently. I mean, I but, can't imagine American Pie even having great reviews, but it was a cult classic. Yeah, I don't know, actually. Actually, American uh, Pie has decent reviews, I bet. It's a good yeah. movie. I just watched it recently. I mean, Jason Biggs was also in a film that was widely panned that I fucking love, Saving Silverman. Oh, that's, that's, a, great that's a great, movie, great flick. That is, Terrible that is a cult classic, though. Yeah. It is. Oh, yeah. But also, if Neil Diamond wasn't in that movie. Okay, I'm looking at the track list for this now. Let's talk about it, because there's some bangers on here. Oh, so the first song is by that boy, yeah. boy band Five, the it, English baby. boy band that, that rapped. Yeah. Uh, their big hit in America was "Baby When the Lights Go Baby Out." Baby When the Lights um, Go Out. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> I had that CD single. Yeah, not me, man. That's super lame. I definitely, I, de- I definitely <laughs> didn't have that. Oh, I definitely, I definitely thought that I was listening to the cool boy band because they were English and they rapped, yeah. and like not as many people knew about them. You know, uh, the lies we tell ourselves. <laughs> <sighs> right. Uh, teenage dirtbag is. Track two, track three is Pretty Fly for a White Guy, The Offspring, which we'll probably talk about at some point, because that song is weird. Number four is a song we've covered, Eiffel 65, Blue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Five, a band we've covered, Fastball, Out of My Head. That is a great fucking song. I mean, this thing is stacked. The next one is Blink-182, What's My Age Again. Yeah. Wow. Like They they shelled out some dough for this soundtrack. They did. Uh, number seven, a band we've we've covered, Bloodhound Gang. Magna Cum Nada is the name of the song. <laughs> oh, I remember this song. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> Magna Cum Nada. Uh, number eight is a one-hit wonder and a band whose CD I bought and the rest of it I did not like. Uh, SR71 right now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Everclear, I Will Buy You a New Life. Oh, yeah. I love that song. Ooh, big song. Love uh, Everclear. Foo- Foo Fighters Aurora, great song. Oh, Underrated wow. Foo song. I really like that song. No comment. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, another underrated song, The Cure, Mint Car. Oh, I know yeah. late Eric here is, it, people feel different ways about it. I think that's a great song. Bloodhound Gang, The Bad Touch. That's the song we talked about on the show. They got two songs on here. Heavy Bloodhound Gang. Heavy Bloodhound Gang. The album was probably... Whatever label they were on the album. Yeah. The oh, this is like, yeah. I think most of this end. is Columbia stuff. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then Tall Bachman, She's So High. She's oh, wow. High. Yeah. Good song. Yeah. I had only realized recently that he's Bachman, like Bachman Turner Overdrive. It's no. like, what? Yeah. Like their I didn't kid. Know that. Yeah. It's their what? kid. Yeah. Like taking care of yeah. business. Oh, you know why? It's because we, um, we did that one, what was it, Crash Test Dunnies, where we talked about Winnipeg. They're all from Winnipeg. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't yeah, yeah. know that. Yeah, I was through my research on that. Yeah. Wow. And then the last song was So Much for the Afterglow by Everclear. Oh, yeah. And well, that look, was I actually the song at the end of the movie. You're missing one, and it's important to me. What? What am I missing? Um, Sonata in C major, K545, <laughs> Beyond Dante Movement by Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. <laughs> That's in the movie? Yeah, it's in the movie. Okay. Well, it's important. I didn't see that on the soundtrack. Official listing. Probably wasn't on the on the CD. Yeah, it's okay. It's fine. Probably not. I'm not offended. So yeah, I mentioned this peaked at number seven on the Billboard alternative chart. It reached number two on the UK singles chart. And as I mentioned, number one in Australia. It spent four weeks there. 
and it was the best, second best selling single of 2000 in Australia. I just remembered something. What? I covered this song. Yeah, that's why I picked oh. it. We were about to get in that. <laughs> get into that. <laughs> Hilarious. I was going to ask you where this charted on the Hot 100. It did not even make the Hot 100. The only chart it made was Alternative at number seven. Crazy. That's crazy. Right? Considering how famous it is now, it's crazy. I mean, to go seven on Alternative, I remember it being a big song. I assume there was a single. Maybe there wasn't. But, like, to not even get, like, 89 on the Hot 100. It didn't get played on pop radio. And it didn't sell enough copies to get there. Wow. Uh, I would say that this song qualifies as a cult classic. Yeah. I think so. We were all in the cult. We were. The occult. Oh, but not like the one Ricky was in. (laughs) No, no, definitely not. The, The nice one. It's had a long life. And in that long life, it's been covered by SZA, Five Seconds of Summer, Phoebe Bridgers, All Time Low, Rex Orange County. I mean, the list is is crazy. And the most famous cover, which brought it, brought the song back into the British pop charts six years in a row from 2011, 2015, is One Direction. I thought you were going to say Jason Hawk Harris. <laughs> you went a different direction. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Believe me, I wouldn't be on this podcast if you guys were down the case. <laughs> I'm still kidding. I still wouldn't be, I promise. I'm not like that. Wait, now, our One Direction. Uh, it was big in Europe, I guess. Big in England. But this feels like cosplay. If you're going to play American teenage dirtbag. Total cosplay. A very yeah. English boy man. I mean, Harry Styles is the one that sings it. He's definitely got a little more of like an alt edge than the rest of the guys. So like kind of get it oh, I but it became it a They're staple for them next to each other playing the guitar <laughs> yeah i hate it they used to I'm play it every show terrible every show maybe i should just maybe i should just sell my songs to better looking people that's what most <laughs> most country writers do. hey i don't see any of these guys with a mullet as good as yours <laughs> but yeah you're right theo it's all songwriters in Nashville selling their songs to better looking people. I'm just going to do that. I, I mean, I think I'll be happy. Honestly, I'll just, I just won't listen to any of the recordings that come out and I'll just be collecting my money in the mailbox. And... Another artist that's covered this song is Rustin Kelly, the uh, singer-songwriter. Uh, he made an album called Dirt Emo, Emo. Volume 1. I'm so mad I didn't come up with that first. Uh, that's such a you. That's such a you I thing. Um, and he covered the song twice on the album. <laughs> but I like what he had to say about it. He said the whole point is that you can feel these emotions and there's a validity to them in your adult life. Yeah. The song hits as much as a 31-year-old adult as it did when I was 15. Yeah. I thought that was kind of a deep cut or a throwback but at my shows the grunge kids the art kids they all fucking love this yeah i thought that was cool and yes our guest here jason hawk harris has a great cover of this song that i've i think i just like found it randomly on youtube a few years ago i know i didn't tell you and about it because i was a little no was you didn't ashamed of it i really like it i think it's cool i think it's really yeah. good well thanks man i appreciate that so why did you think i picked this song if i hadn't if you hadn't thought about this cover. You know, I just, I, I mean, Mike, you and I have had conversations where we just 
end up somehow being on the same level. <laughs> and like, I was like, we'll just yeah, be talking totally. all of a sudden. Totally. Like, oh, you like that? I like that too. And then we're like, dude, you like that. I didn't even need to ask, and I knew you liked That's that. That's definitely true. So like, yeah, when you said, I knew when you said uh, Teenage Dirtbag, I, or when you started playing the song, I was just like, oh, Mike, Mike knows. Mike knows I love this song. He would know I love this song. I had completely forgotten about the cover. Completely forgotten about it. I recommend everyone check it out on YouTube. This was what made you pick this song to, to cover. So uh, this was a troupe of songwriters called Flight of Voices. And we just would play shows and like do like in the round kind of stuff in LA. And uh, they wanted to do a bunch of covers. And so I was like, I want to do Teenage Dirtbag. And everybody was like, fuck yeah, let's do Teenage Dirtbag. So we did. There you go. Simple as that. Love it. They've had a revolving door of members, but Brendan is the remaining original member. Uh, it was obvious in the Vice talk, though, that though Phil left in 2003, they're still good friends. Where does Brendan live now? Do you know? I don't know, actually. LA. I'm uh, sure it's LA. Like, He's got to live in LA. Yo, these Long Island kids, I bet it's LA. They, all, they all come back. They all come back. <laughs> yeah. So he did He did move back for a while uh, after right. college, so I know that. I don't know if that was before or after Manhattan, but there is some footage in the Vice talk of him at his mom's house, like where they recorded, and she's there. And despite the fact that she pulled him out of high school, it seems like they're pretty chummy, and she's like, she is so proud of this song. It's really heartwarming. It's really cool. I'm excited yeah. to watch it. I'm going to watch it as soon as we're done yeah. here. You should watch it. And Brendan just seems like a super cool dude doing things for the right reasons. Yeah. And um, I, was, I was happy to learn his story. However, in 2019, we just did a tour featuring the original lineup and the new lineup all in one show. Cool. So they would tour, they'd do the new lineup would do a set, and then the original lineup would play the album front to back. Wow. Yeah. So they all came back and they're all still friends. I mean, obviously, his, his brother uh, was in the band, then his sister joined the band later on the next record. Family Affair, they seem to tour a lot. They're on tour in the UK right now, actually, probably playing bigger venues than they play in the US. They've done a bunch of like album tours. They just toured with Everclear. Uh, they toured with Hoobastank, Theo's favorite band. I'm not a perfect person. <laughs> He's shaking his head. Oh, God. Oh, fuck. Uh, one day I'm going to lay that out on you, Leo, for a whole episode. It's going to be great. Oh, my God. Uh, and this song's been... <laughs> this song has been uh, all over TikTok, all over all kinds of other online platforms. I, I could 20- definitely see it popping off on TikTok. In 2022, across social media, Teenage Dirtbag had 2 billion oh my views. God. What? In a month. What? Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. I mean, it's huge. There's so many memes. There, I mean, just, I was saying a couple weeks ago, there was that meme that was like, wait, this guy sings both parts? Like, it just keeps coming back oh over God. and over. The song has been shared online by Lil Nas X, Brooke Shields, Paris Hilton, Madonna, Alice Cooper, John Bon Jovi, Chevy Chase, Michelle Pfeiffer, Mark Ruffalo, Gwen Stefani. Like, the list just goes on. Tony Hawk, L. Cool J. Mick Fleetwood. Mick Fleetwood. Like, I yeah. love that. That for some reason that one's the funniest one to me. Uh, yeah, I want. I want the context. Yeah, for all it of goes. Yeah. <laughs> it goes on and on and on, and then it and then uh, it says just to name a very select few. 
the 2020 Rolling Stone article that mentioned the 1984 Rolling Stone article that was by Jonathan Bernstein. I referenced that a lot. It's definitely worth a read. It's a great interview with Brendan in it. And he actually um, visited with Brendan at the house. Uh, it's really cool. Jonathan, uh, a big portion of the article, he writes about how for the better part of... So that was in 2020. So for the better part of the past two years then, the group had been holed up in a basement studio meticulously re-recording every single instrument and vocal part to their debut album. Wow. It's cost them thousands of dollars, hundreds of hours, and the Quest has sent them scouring the internet for gear that most most closely resembles what they use for the album. Brennan has said this is a fucking pain in the ass. Why? You want to know why he's doing it? Because he doesn't have the master recordings to the album. Nobody does? It was recorded on a long-defunct transitional format called ADAT. No way. ADAT. Is it ADAT? Years ago, he gave his last personal copy back to Sony, and they haven't seen them since. Did they burn up in the Sony fire? Was that a Sony fire? I thought that was. Oh, yeah. Was that Sony? Yeah. Oh, maybe. Oh, wow. I thought it was Universal for some so reason. So this was but... like yeah, 2008, 2008 Universal Studios fire. Yeah, they kept the Sony house stuff in there. Oh, really? Yeah. So that might be it. He said he he's asked them. He told the A and R guy, "Are you putting these on backup?" Has no this, idea where they are. This is like the laser disc of recorded music. Yeah, it is. Holy shit! So Weedus and Sony, for a lot of reasons, for how the album went and the things he didn't want to do and things they asked him to do at one point they asked them to drop a member so they could be a trio like blink 182 or green day he's like so no. stupid <laughs> um stupid so they had a strained relationship after the debut and by 2005 the band was no longer on the label and he has asked sony for years where the whereabouts of his masters are and he said they always get annoyed when you start tech nerding them and they're like, why are you bothering me? And he's, cons- he's convinced that they never transferred the tape. So they're virtually unplayable. Dude, okay. Even can if we they talk exist. about, can we go back to uh, what you said about, about what you said about asking them to be a three piece? Like, yeah. <laughs> oh we my gosh. And who are these That's people so fucked that up. Like, get to these positions of power <laughs> and ask these stupid fucking questions? Like, who are these people? It seems like the A and R guy that signed them. It appears that they're still friends. They're in. They're in the documentary together. He loves this band. I'm sure there's won't. Those weren't things coming from him. Those were things the label was telling him to tell the band. Yeah, but like, who are the stupid MFs at the label that are saying, you know, (laughs) I think I think we got it. If these guys become a trio, kick someone out. I think we'll really be able to make it, you know, really lift off. I mean, we're going to be, yeah. No, I think that's it. Yeah. If the guns, the guns and dicks, dicks will there, be fine if they're a trio. That should protect yeah. us from any fallout <laughs> that happens as a result of them becoming a trio. I mean, this, this shit's wow. still happening. Oh, 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 yeah, it still happens, man. There is a Weedus album called Suck Phony. Suck Phony. <laughs> yeah, I should dive into their catalog a little bit. Yeah, I did listen to this album uh, today, and uh, I had a fun time. Uh, a lot of just like tongue in cheek stuff that I'm like, I can't tell if this hasn't aged well or if it has or what, but yeah. it's good. Okay. It's fun. 
But yeah, I mean, Brendan is very aware that this song is his career calling card. Uh, he's like, you know, people come to shows, they just want to hear Teenage Dirtbag. Hell yeah, let's do it. Let's sing along together, I which is really that. cool. I love that. I hope, I pray to God that if I'm ever in a situation, if I'm ever in a position to have that many fans of a particular song, that I won't be a dick about it and that I'll just fucking play yep. it and enjoy yep. it. <laughs> I think he will. Online to this day, he responds to fans on social media. And when he feels like it's appropriate, he gives them dirtbag for life status. <laughs> I am uh, the next six months of my life will be dedicated to achieving dirtbag for life. Status. <laughs> dirtbag, dirtbag for life status. Yeah. I, and now that I know that from you, I'm going to be following him on Twitter immediately. <laughs> I feel like I this belongs. I think he's pretty active on there. I will say, it is crazy that as they're re-recording the album, they've been trying to figure out what the glitchy little three-note synth-like sound is in the first chorus. It's like in the beginning of the song. It's um, figure it out. It's the where where where, or it's like in a verse. I can't think of it. I gotta hear it. They've been trying to crowdsource its origin. They, they've they posted online, can anyone figure out what this was? They don't know what it is. I think this is my, this is my, my way in. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is how I become a life, lifelong dirtbag status. It's like, it goes like, I don't know how else it's like. Oh, yeah. I'm about to go listen to this song 80 times. I did also find that there's a documentary about Weedus that's like a full-length feature film that's already been made or is still being made. Uh, it appears it's been in the works for 12 years by some filmmaker. Couldn't find anywhere. Couldn't find a release date. I found a trailer from... It's Terrence Malick, isn't it? It's definitely Terrence Malick. Yeah, it's Terrence Malick. Yeah, yeah he's a huge Weedus guy. Yeah. <laughs> um... I, I did see a trailer and it looks really good. And then the filmmaker posted on Facebook last month. He was looking for people to send in videos about how they love Weedus for the opening credits. So I would think that's coming soon, but I, I would have loved to have watched it. Yeah. I want to be in that video. Well, you should probably post one. Hold up. I want to go. I want to go back real quick here. <laughs> this little noise is so unnecessary it totally is i would have never picked up on it like were they like drunk or like uh radiohead they didn't start playing planet telex from the bends until very recently because they couldn't figure out how they played it because they were so fucked up in the studio Uh, that's awesome number one (laughs) two this seems so unnecessary And they can't and figure out how to, to make it, it how to recreate it. They can't recreate it. It this seems is, like this it's is, like this is, an accident. Like this is an like accident. the highest form of demoitis. I would like to leave you with two quotations. Um, the first one is from the Rolling Stone piece, the newer one, not the one about the occult murder. It says, for a single that never even entered the pop charts in the U.S., Teenage Dirtbag has become a surprisingly enduring cult standard. On its surface, it's a time capsule of 80s heavy metal lonerism and oversized bucket hats. But its dark backstory gives it an unexpected emotional gravity that's transcended its era. These days, it's embraced by both aging millennials and entirely new audience of devotees from all across the musical spectrum. Isn't that beautiful? 
Yeah, that's really great. That's beautiful. That's true. Yeah. yeah, it really is. It's had quite a journey. And then who wrote that? Uh, that's Jonathan Bernstein in Rolling Stone. Okay, I always like his writing. He always writes good stuff. Yep. And I'll also leave you with this one from Vice. Is it kind of a Weezer rip? Totally. Is it a really good Weezer rip? You bet. And that's why it still endures as a nostalgic time capsule of the American Pie era of horny, smart aleck power pop, transcending such beautifully late 90s aesthetics such as the record scratches, the suspended guitar chords, and singer Brendan B. Brown's overall fashion sense in the video. Teenage Dirtbag is forever. It's just a shame about that snare drum. (laughs) (laughs) I'll leave you with one more quote. This is better than any song Weezer ever wrote. Oh! (laughs) Damn! Shots fired. I, I never I, I like Weezer. I like Weezer. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I do as well. Um well, but, but man. Jason, Jason say more because uh Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the songs that I think of that are my favorite Weezer songs are Butterfly, mm-hmm. um, Pink Triangle, and My Name is Jonas. My name is Jonas is probably their best song. I like Teenage Dirtback more than all of those songs. Okay. okay, there you have yeah. it. There you go. I never maybe considered... Weezer should have used more record scratches and a piccolo snare. <laughs> yeah, Rivers would never. <laughs> I I never considered this like a Weezer song, but now that I, I hear that, like yeah, kind of yeah. Jason, thank you for being here with us. This was so much fun. Absolutely, um, I'd love to do it again sometime. Yeah, Please. we'd love to have you again. Uh, can you tell the people that you wanted a hitters? What you're up to, new record, are you going on tour, what's going on? Yep, I got a new record out, it's called Thin Places, it is um, trigger warning for anyone who's lost a parent, and uh, yeah, it's uh, I'm really proud of it, I spent about five years working on it, and um, I will be touring it in the winter, uh, starting on the 18th of January, and um, be touring it throughout the spring. So. Uh, yeah. My name's Jason Hawk Harris. Website jasonhawkharris.com. Twitter Jason Hawk Harris. Instagram Jason Hawk Harris. You are a great Twitter follow, I got to say. Are. We, you are. We've had I've been looking forward to having you cuz I feel like you and the pod have had a lot of banter. So mm-hmm. uh it's it's fun to do it in in reality. I do love that tweet life. Yeah. It's hard to get it's away tweet, from. Tweet life. Yeah. Yeah, it Tweet is. life, the X life, whatever we're calling it now. We'll, we'll see what yeah, happens. The X life. We'll see what happens. We'll say. Uh, on the, yeah. we, we talked about one of your covers earlier. On your album, you have a cover of Keep Me in Your Heart. I do. And it's yep. fucking incredible. Thanks, man. You also I check out Jason's original songs, but that song as well. I love a cover on an album. Yeah. I think that's great. I do too. I think it's one. great. Just one placed one well, cover. Placed yeah. in the album well. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that, Theo. Yeah, let's 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 continue to popularize one cover on an album. It's always surprising and fun. I'm like, is that what I, I think it is? Yeah, Love exactly. It. Yeah. That's a wrap on this episode of You Wanted a Hit. Thanks for listening. Good luck getting that song out of your head. If you enjoyed the show, please do all the things podcasts usually ask you to. They really help. Tell a friend about the show, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, write a review on your favorite podcast app, and visit our website, ywahpod.com. That's ywahpod.com for updates on new episodes and our merch store. We have t-shirts, sweatshirts, hats, coffee mugs, stickers, and more. And it all goes back into the podcast. We would love to hear what you thought of the episode. And we also want to hear if there's something that we missed. 
can reach us on Instagram and Twitter at YWHpod or directly via email at YWHpod at gmail.com. This podcast was researched, produced, recorded, and edited by me and Theo Bible. And our theme music is by Air Doctor. We'll see you next time.